A little girl vanishes into thin air. I looked under cars. I looked in bushes. The investigation still haunts the community. It's a nightmare. At first, you don't believe it's actually happening. Yeah, the right to remain silent. You understand that. Mm-hmm. I'm Bryn Caswell, reporter and weekend news anchor at Dayton 24 7 Now. I don't know if she was breathing, I don't know if she was just unconscious. And I said to myself, I will never forget this for as long as I live. I'm Nathan Edwards, morning news anchor. And this is Missing Erica Baker, a podcast from Dayton 24 7 Now. In this episode, Christian Gabriel describes in his own words what happened to Erica Baker. She was still in the van. You left her in the van? Mm-hmm. Okay, did anybody maybe say, well, let's at least drive by the hospital and put her in front of the door? No, I remember saying something, but uh, no one was listening to me. They were more worried about smoking their crack and getting hot. It's 2004. Christian Gabriel is behind bars for receiving stolen property. His story about February 7, 1999, continues to change. But it becomes clearer and clearer that he's the main suspect. Montgomery County Prosecutor Matt Heck puts it this way. Two and two just doesn't add up to four here. It doesn't make any sense what you're saying. And then, as Leon will tell you, how it evolved from there. Here's Leon Day Doan the lead prosecutor handling the case in 2004. Gabriel ended up giving a number of different interviews over a period of like five years. And he told a number of different stories. And back in July of 1999, two Kettering detectives went down to Jeffersonville where he was and talked to him. And at first it was, I've never been to Kettering. Then it was, I may have been Kettering. And then five years would pass. And in 2004, he's interviewed by Detective Green and Lieutenant Wilcox. Now he says, you know, um, before he said that he had a vehicle, then in the, the next statement it was a friend had that vehicle, then three months would pass and officers would talk to him. And that was the first time he told law enforcement officers that he was there, but a witness. That's where detectives are at with the investigation on July 19, 2004. Christian no longer denies his involvement, but there's still some open questions around what happened that night. Before we ask you any questions, you must understand your rights. You have the right to remain silent. You understand that? Mm-hmm. Anything you say can be used against you in court. You understand that? Mm-hmm. Christian Gabriel sits in a small beige room. He's six feet tall, 250 pounds wears a bright blue shirt and sneakers. He's a big guy, crouched over a slim table. I fully understand the above five statements of my rights. I freely and voluntarily agree to talk with Detective Larry Alexander mm-hmm. and Deputy Wise, Deputy Wise concerning Erica Baker, now under investigation. Detective Larry Alexander sits across the table from Christian. He's a detective for the Clark County Sheriff's Office in Ohio, and he's established a rapport with Christian from previous cases. Deputy Robert Wise sits on a chair along the wall. Okay, so basically what we're going to have you do is we're going to start the beginning. What happened that night? Okay. We picked uh, Clifford and his old lady up at uh, his house, at their house where they were staying. He's talking about Clifford Butts the man who tipped investigators off to Christian Gabriel five years ago in 1999. 
and the person he calls Clifford's old lady is Sabrina, Clifford's wife at the time. We were going to Myers. I was in drugs. I was boosting. Did you make it to Myers? Were you just on your way there? Yeah, they got. They said they got pictures of my van at Myers. Meyer is a grocery store in Kettering. After you left Myers, what happened? We got in the van and we were driving down the street and someone got hit. I mean, well, who was driving? Jan was driving. My dead girlfriend. <laughs> Clifford and his old lady was in the back. Remember what Prosecutor Leon Daydone said about Christian's shifting statements? Well, this is a point we'll come back to later. Who exactly was driving Christian's van that night? Okay, back to his story. They were driving down the street. Heard a thug and got out of the van. There was someone laying on the street. You, you said that she was walking her dog. Yep. How do you know she was walking her dog? Because we saw the dog. Dog took off. Okay. So you know she was she was crossing the street. I don't know if she was crossing or, or if she was walking on the side of the street. Okay, you were you were sitting in the passenger seat. Yeah. You didn't did you see her? Did she dart out into the street or I I really didn't see nothing until I heard the thump. And then that's that's when we stopped. Okay. So everybody bailed out of the van. Yep. What happened then? There's a pause here. You may notice that Christian seems hesitant to give specifics as to who was doing what throughout his interrogation. They picked her up, put her in the van, and went to my apartment. Okay. So, I mean, what was... Was she alive? I, like I said, I don't know. I don't know if she was breathing. I don't know if she was just unconscious. Did anybody say anything? Nope. I mean, did anybody Everybody was just basically scared. <laughs> I mean, if you hit someone, you're going to be scared. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> yes. The detective asked Christian what Erica looked like when he saw her. If you don't want to hear these details, skip 15 seconds ahead. Well, she had no gashes in her head. It was just like, like she bounced off the van or something. And what, no cuts or nothing. There wasn't any butt? No. She had blonde hair. I mean, she had a, I'll say a pink or a blue like coat on or something. When she was young, I know that. Maybe eight, between eight and 10. What did the dog look like? It was a little dog. It looked like a, some dogs have the like mustaches. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm about? Got like a beard. Yeah. And this is interesting. These details about what Erica looks like, her clothes, and even her little dog's mustache are spot on with what Erica's family have already told investigators. Investigators showed us a photo of Jamie, the family's dog. Jamie is small and fluffy and has what looks like a long handlebar mustache sprouting from its snout. Okay. <laughs> so then what happened? Went back to my apartment. Now, this part of his story gets tricky again. No, I mean, the discussion, I mean, it's like, you guys ain't going to be quiet. If someone's, oh my God, we just, we just hit somebody. What are we going to do? Well, that, yeah, that was kind of the uh, discussion. <laughs> well, who was saying what? Um, they go back and forth like this for a while. It's real important that you get, 
you get the story right. You hear me? Mm -hmm. It's real important because this is for your credibility. This is so we know you're saying the truth. Okay? So tell me what the discussion was. Uh, basically, they're just talking about what we, what we were going to do. I mean, they didn't, we didn't know if she was dead or we didn't know if she was unconscious. Christian Gabriel says the four of them, Jan Franks, Clifford Butts, and Sabrina, drove back to his apartment in Dayton. He says their drug dealer came over and started selling drugs from his dining room. Christian then described the four of them. Jan, Christian, Clifford, and Sabrina started doing crack cocaine in his bedroom. They talked about what they were going to do. She was still in the van. You left her in the van? Mm -hmm. Okay, did anybody maybe say, well, let's at least drive by the hospital and put her in front of the door? No, I remember saying something, but uh, no one was listening to me. They were more worried about smoking their crack and getting high. Well, she was still laying in the same spot when we got in the van. Jan got in, she was driving again. And that's when they took her to Husband Dan, wherever the hell that is. <laughs> Here's another part that gets foggy. Where they went after doing drugs in Christian Gabriel's apartment. He says Jan Franks was driving his van because she's from Dayton. He just moved to the area a few months ago. He says she knew a place to drop the body, Huffman Dam. At this point in the interrogation, the detective left the room for a moment. Deputy Wise sits across from Christian. The conversation sounds a little more casual. They just took her and they walked off to the woods and I said they came back maybe 15 to 30 minutes later. I said, I really don't know much about the and I didn't live there that long. And the only reason I was living there is because I was in a halfway house because I just got out of jail. Do you think we went to Madame, do you remember? Where was that? I remember where they parked. Show you which way they went through the woods, probably. Are you willing to do that? What's that? Go to Huff and Dan. Yeah, I don't care as long as this gets over with. After the break, Christian Gabriel takes detectives to Huffman Dam. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. This is... Uh 
at the Huffman Dam. Did they park the van right there? Huffman Dam is about 10 miles away from the city of Dayton. It's near the flying field where the Wright brothers mastered flying early versions of airplanes. Right now, we're looking at tall, lush trees and bright green grass. There's water, possibly the reservoir in the distance. Did you ever come back here and party with them at all before? That was the first time I was ever in this park. First time? Yep. Christian Gabriel is in plain clothes, bright blue t-shirt and small dark sunglasses that were popular at the time. They remind me of the sunglasses Neo wore in The Matrix. Detectives Green and Alexander wear black suits, even though they're in the heat of a July summer. Deputy Wise was there too, in a red t-shirt and jean shorts. Some people go hiking here, some people go fishing. But Christian Gabriel says that's where he and his friends went to dispose of Erica Baker. You think they crossed here? Oh, they had to. There was no other way to cross. Do you think they went in up in there? Yeah. That's where they disappeared at. The footage is from 2004. It's almost 20 years old, so it's a little hard to hear. Christian is saying he didn't enter the woods with Clifford Butts and Jan Franks when they took Erica's body. He says he stayed in the van and watched them disappear into the trees. I stayed in the van. This is that goose chase that's telling you not to put us on, man. I'm not putting you on no goose chase. This is where they came. I told you I was drunk and puking that night. Well... I know a situation that you were in would have sobered a man up real quick. It would have scared the life out of me, and I'm, I'm sure it scared the life out of you. Well, yeah, it still does. This is another part of his story that changes over time. At this point, Christian insists that he stayed in the van that night because he was too intoxicated. He says that's why Jan Franks drove his van. But some of these details feel like important clues that could lead us to her body. He says he remembers Clifford Butts and Jan Franks coming back after 30 minutes in the woods. They had mud on their shoes. Plus, how did they hide Erica's body when she was wearing a bright pink raincoat? Uh, Clifford didn't have his coat on when he came back. He didn't. He didn't have a coat on when he came back. No, and this was, uh, what, in February? Right. So it was wintertime. Mm-hmm. Kind of warm and stuff, but must have done something with it. And they never talked about it to you, where they put her? Nope, they said they crossed the path. And that was it. Like I said, I stayed in the van and saw them disappear in the woods. The group in the footage arrives at the stream. There's some fallen trees and jagged rocks. Detective Green and Christian Gabriel lean over one of the trees. Christian avoids eye contact with the detective and the camera when he speaks. We just want to find that girl. Man, I know you do. And, and we want to validate my, your story. And I'm trying everything I can to help you. Like I said, I was trashed that night, man. I was no one's doubting that. <laughs> I mean, shoot, I figured in five years they'd find the real person that did it. <laughs> you, I mean, you was there. You know who did it. Yeah, who was driving? Who actually was driving? And she's dead. <laughs> Don't help me out, man. You guys took Gabriel out to 
Huffman Dam, correct? Yes. Here's Detective Green. What was that experience like? Ultimately a waste of time. Detective Green also drove the route Christian says they took from the grocery store, through the park, to his apartment, and to Caesar Creek State Park. Another location Christian said would point investigators to Erica's body. Months passed with progress moving slowly. Then on December 10th, 2004, his phone rings. It was Christian Gabriel. Detective Green remembers the frantic call. And he said, hey, I, I want to talk to you. I want you to come up. I said, it's 4.30 on a Friday. I'm not coming up. I said, whatever you got to tell me, you can tell me on phone. I don't want to tell you on phone. Now, mind you, I've had a couple different interactions with him at this time, so it's a chess game. And I said, in order for me to even think about coming up to talk to you about this, you're going to have to give me something over the phone. And he gave me a, a scenario that I knew wasn't true. And I said, nope, that's a lie, and I told him why. And um, he said, well, just come up here. I want to talk to you. And I said, eh, I'll think about it. Put Fosnot back on the phone. And by this time, I was like best friends with the investigator at the Corrections Reception Center, a guy by the name of John Fosnot. And so John gets back on the phone. I said, I'll be up there Monday. Don't tell him. <laughs> so my partner and I went up there Monday, and we interviewed him in the assistant warden's office. And it was basically uh, what made him tell, I think, guilt. I think the pressure that was on him and, you know, it, it was just a matter of good timing. What did he tell you? Yeah. yeah. Well, initially he told me that uh, Jan was driving the van, which was impossible because we had done our homework. Jan couldn't drive a stick shift. And I started folding my stuff up, my partner up, putting things away. And I said, I'm done. And he said, what do you mean? I said, you're lying. And I told him why. Told him, I said, I know that Jan couldn't drive a stick shift. You were the only one that drove that vehicle. I just said, I'm done. And he says, well, I got to go to the restroom. I said, hey, it's your prison. You can go to the restroom. And he started to walk out and he stopped and he turned around and he said to me, what would I get for tampering with evidence, gross abuse of a corpse and vehicular homicide? I said, Chris, I have no idea. I have no idea. He went to the restroom. Chris walks back. He, he sat down. And he was down like this in his chair, just staring down. He looked up. And I was standing up at this time, away from him. He looked up. He looked over at me, and he said... I was driving the van, and he looked down. So I had a chair right next to him, and I immediately moved over next to him. My partner was sitting across from him. I put my hand on his knee, and I said, why don't you tell me more about that? And as he was telling me the story, he was crying. And the tears were coming off his nose, and they were hitting the same spot in the floor. And I became very fixated on that, and I'm just staring at it. And I'm listening to what he's saying, but I'm just staring at this. As I'm still listening, I said to myself, I will never forget this for as long as I live. He told me how they were stealing at Meyer, 
that they thought the police were there because of him. They drove up the street, they went down Glengarry, and that this little girl walked out in front of them between cars, and he hit them. Let's take a moment to focus on the van. Detective Bob Green says they confirmed Christian Gabriel owned the van. Remember, that's what connected Christian to Clifford Butts' initial statement in the first place. In an earlier statement, Christian tells Detective Bob Green they cleaned out the van after Jan and Clifford disposed of the body and returned to his van with muddy shoes. So you wiped it out with a rag? Wiped it, I had a bucket of water and a rag because there was mud all over the pedals and stuff. Mm-hmm. Shortly after February 7th, 1999, Christian sold the van and the van ended up in an impound lot where police were able to confiscate it as evidence and police still have this van to this day. Earlier this year, Bryn and I went to a remote warehouse where Kettering police keep vehicles used as evidence. The huge cement building is empty, except for a small fenced-in area that's locked up. A rusted, baby blue utility van is tucked in the corner. It's cold, dark, and a little banged up. It's a snapshot back in time. We are the first news station to see this van up close and in person. Well, you look here, there's a lot of damage, rusting, a dent. You see the tires here, they're completely flat, the rims rusted. As you walk around the vehicle, you definitely get this like eerie feeling that something happened here. And when you open it up, it's like a walk back in time. You look inside, there's still air fresheners hanging presumably been in here more than two decades. And most of all, you just get kind of this weird vibe when you stand in here and look around, realizing that this van really is a key character in the case of Erica Baker. And it's just kind of eerie. It stands out because it weighs on your soul a little bit. Not going to lie. Listeners, you can see the video of the van on Dayton 24-7 Now's YouTube page. Police have never found Erica's DNA in or on the van. One thing I want to point out is how large the van is. The hood of the van went above my hips. Erica was between 3 foot 10 and 3 foot 11. But would a collision with the van immediately kill a little nine-year-old girl? Here's Detective Bob Green again. Did he say that she was already dead then when he hit her? He, He did not indicate that yet. Later, in another interview, he stated that she was not dead after he hit her. What's your suspicions? I, I, I think that he killed her later before he got rid of her. Why do you think that they or he killed her instead of just leaving her there? Could have just been a hit and run. He could have just left her body there. They could have dropped her off at, some, at a hospital and just left. Um, surveillance videos weren't like they are now in terms of everyone has a ring camera or something. Mm-hmm. So why kill her instead of just leaving her? Fear. I believe it was fear. Another eerie turn of events occurred when Christian asked the length of a prison sentence for a series of potential charges related to disposing of Erica's body. When he turned around during his confession at the door, 
and listed the specific charges. Mm -hmm. He's lied to you, uh, you know, changed his stories on numerous occasions. Were there any suspicions about what he was about to tell you, considering he had already calculated in his mind what charges would possibly be available to him? I think that he, yes. And the suspicion was is that he wanted to take a uh, vehicular homicide case as an accident as opposed to a murder case. That, I mean, th that's a higher charge. And I think that he had thought, wait a minute, if I go with vehicular homicide, I'm not going to do as much time. Yeah, to me, it seems like he, he had already calculated yes. his strategy yeah. before it, he it was got there. He choreographed. Uh, those, those charges, I, I understand the vehicular homicide charge versus a murder charge, but the gross abuse of a corpse and tampering with evidence, they're very, very specific. Yeah. Did he talk to a lawyer about those charges first, or he just spit those out? I have no idea. He, <laughs> he, he came up with it, and I said the same thing. I wouldn't have even thought of that. I wouldn't have even thought of those charges. The prosecutors, Matt Heck and Leon Daydone, shared a copy of his confession. It's dated December 13th, 2004. He writes that he and Jan driving back from the grocery store, they were talking. When they heard something hit the van, he doesn't mention anyone else being in the van. No Clifford, no Sabrina. He continues, I apologize to the family for what had been an accident that turned out really bad. I wish there was a way I could turn back time and trade my life for hers. I'm really sorry, Mr. and Mrs. Baker. Nothing was done to her after she was hit. She wasn't raped or anything like that, because I'm not that sick of a person. I could just hurt someone that is so precious in God's eyes. Again, I'm sorry. Our news director, Becky Golden, asked the prosecutors about this. This is the witness statement that you showed us earlier. Let me see. On the second page, he mentions he he wants to make sure that the parents know that she was not sexually assaulted at all. Do you, why do you think he just added that in there? We've had <laughs> we've had many discussions okay. about that. Yes, uh, it's it was very strange to us too. But remember, um, I got to go not with my own feelings, but mm -hmm. what the evidence. But uh, Mr. Heck, uh, immediately upon reading that, I remember years ago. Um, was very disturbed by that, I might add. And you know, I think maybe one reason is that w several people at the very beginning mm -hmm. thought that she had been abducted. Right. But there was never any, not a scintilla of evidence to show that. And so I think it's safe to say that all of the investigators and in in, in my staff and in, in our office here never felt that had happened. Okay. That was more in line something along the lines that he mentioned, and that is that she ran and darted out, or something happened. Whether he swerved, whether he hit her, whether she, he unavoidably, whatever, that it probably happened that way. And I, the only thing I can guess is, guess, mm -hmm. is that maybe he said that because he didn't want people to think okay. and that she was in any way abducted and sexually molested. Because there was never any suggestion or evidence of that. We asked Detective Green a similar question. Do you think that there's any way that this wasn't, didn't even start as an accident? Like maybe he saw this little girl, wanted to kidnap her, threw no. her in the van, and it, the no. whole, so that you believe his story, at yeah. least that part. I believe it was an accident. 
you talked about how when you talked to Christian in jail that he was crying. Do you think those tears were real? Absolutely. So you really do think that he feels guilt over this? Yes. Yeah. Are you 100% positive as Christian Gabriel? Yes. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. On the next episode, we enter the courtroom and hear the trial that convicts Christian Gabriel. He's put behind bars and serves a surprising number of years. But even more surprising is what happens next. It was a shock to everyone, but it made Gabriel happy. Check out the smirk of satisfaction on his face after he hears the good news. Then released from jail, another twist. He climbs into Pam's car, giving the man connected to her granddaughter's death a ride. That's all for this episode of Missing Erica Baker, a podcast from Dayton 24-7 Now. Find us in your podcast app next Tuesday. Follow the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts so you can never miss an episode. If you like the show, leave us a rating and review. It really helps new listeners find the show. Thanks to our production team from Sinclair Broadcast Group, Becky Golden, Michael Oyan, and Holden Robinson. And our production team at Pod People, Amy Machado, Danielle Roth, Jazzy Johnson, and Adam Raimunda. This is still an active investigation. If you have any tips about the case, please contact Kettering Police at 937-296-2555. For more reporting from Dayton, head to Dayton247now.com. We've created a special section dedicated to this podcast. Until next time, I'm Nathan Edwards. And I'm Bryn Caswell. This has been Missing Erica Baker.